Welcome back. It's the College Football Winning Edge podcast. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. You can follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports, and I'm joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge. You can follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge, and uh, Xavier Trish, uh, Barry White version of Xavier Trish, as uh, we stated before starting this podcast, at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E, to find him on Twitter. Gentlemen, how was your weekend? Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. Just uh, getting in the swing of things. I've got a sick wife at home. Uh, we'll be for a little while on, on some bed rest, but uh, she's uh, getting getting turned in the, in the right direction. So that's good and uh, able to get uh, through a lot of uh, things on my to-do list as well, which is, which is also good. Very nice. Xavier, how's your weekend? It was great. I mean, the only downside was I was working at Auburn this weekend. And according to my dad's, or my dad and my uncle who were at the basketball game, I was working next to Charles Barkley the entire game. Didn't see him. Completely <laughs> missed him. How do he you was miss Charles right- Barkley? <laughs> I don't know, but they sent me a photo while I was working, I don't normally use my phone when I'm shooting because I don't want to have any like distractions. I got back into the uh, the media room after the game was over. There was a picture of Charles Barkley was literally to my left behind me. And I was like, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I've yeah, seen, you must be in the zone. I've seen Charles Barkley so many times because, you know, I live in the Scottsdale, Phoenix area. So I've seen him at the casinos. I've seen him. Uh, no, no joke. I remember one time I was on my way uh, when uh, when I was going to college, I was on my way to class and I saw him on the on ramp next to me flipping through a CD case. So, I mean, this was probably like 2002 or 2003, and he had... No, I was 1987. Uh, yeah, well, I was four in 1987, Xavier, all right? <laughs> so, uh, I, um, but he was flipping through a CD case, and um, yeah, it was just like, oh, look, there's Chuck. There he is. So, it's crazy. I mean, he's just so gigantic. It's hard to miss him. So, it's weird. Obviously, that's how you know you've got a good worker right there. Mm-hmm. Is there nothing is distracting him, not even gigantic celebrities standing right behind him so uh, well it's not like he's got a huge personality either yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah or a recognizable voice or anything so you know uh but we're uh today we're going to be going over the pac-12 now uh before we get into the pac-12 though uh, i mean i was just shocked by this news nick mel tucker has decided he's going to leave colorado for michigan state a couple days after he said that, no, I'm going to stay at Colorado. So maybe you can explain this situation to me a little bit better because I just don't understand it very well. Well, yeah, it, w- it was a surprise. I woke up this morning and and one of the first things I saw was uh, the news that apparently broke around two in the morning uh, the previous night that that Tucker was actually uh, had done, a, uh, you know, turn, uh, turned his his uh, decision around had announced publicly that he was going to stay at Colorado. Apparently it had a speaking engagement in Denver with a, an alumni group or something um, the previous night. And uh, all of a sudden uh, he's leaving Colorado for Michigan state. And it sounds like he just had a, an offer he couldn't refuse. Uh, I'm, I'm seeing numbers that uh, he's more than doubled his salary was making about two and a half million at Colorado and, and is now uh, reportedly going to make uh, 5.2, something in that neighborhood, plus uh, just a huge 
pool of money for uh, his coaching staff, which which is a big deal uh, in college football today, uh, to to make sure that you're able to hire, um, you know, those top quality coordinators, and and uh, it's certainly, uh, in my opinion, you know, about as good as Michigan State could have hoped for at this point. I know that Tucker, you know, really has only been a head coach for one season, had modest success, won five games at Colorado. Um, we'll talk about. That that was actually a little bit of a uh, an over um, you know overperformed our preseason expectation uh, from last year. So did a did a decent job, but not a, a you know excellent excellent job. Um, but to to pull a head coach from another Power Five program uh, this time of the year and in this situation is uh, for Michigan State a. a uh, you know, a coup of sorts. And for Colorado, it, it certainly hurts and their options are going to be limited as I'm sure we'll talk about here in a bit. But uh, as far as Michigan State goes, probably as good as you could hope for, as far as Tucker's maybe reputation goes, uh, it's it's probably a bit of a blow, especially since he um, publicly said that though he was flattered, wouldn't be leaving for Michigan State just, you know, 48 hours ago or whatever it was. Yeah, I know. I mean, uh, he's definitely got a future in politics, that's for sure. So uh, <laughs> flip-flopping that quickly. Uh, Xavier, I mean, what did you think about Mel Tucker leaving? Because, I mean, I saw articles talking about how Michigan State's going to be going back into the dark ages as far as mm -hmm. the Big Ten goes and all that stuff, and that may still be the case, but uh, just a very strange, like, uh, you know, a turn, turn of a decision. Uh, what did you think about it? I think it reminds me a lot of the Willie Taggart move. And I hate putting a guy who, you know, I respected so highly, um, obviously being the D coordinator for Georgia, uh, making a move like that at the time that he made it. You know, if you're going to move or you think you there's a possibility, even if it, that possibility is at 10 percent, don't promise a recruiting class. Don't promise a fan base that you're not going anywhere. Yeah. Um, I really hate using like for sure words like. I promise I won't go anywhere. There's no shot that I leave. You know, things of that nature. Don't use that kind of terminology, especially when money talks. And, and and Nick, you alluded to it. You know, he's doubling his salary, which is obviously going to be huge. He's going to the Big Ten, another huge move for him as well. And he's going to a university in Michigan State that, you know, although it's coming under fire at the moment, still a big name in college football, still has a lot of pedigree. And at least for Michigan State, this is one heck of a move. They got a guy who not only is a good defensive coordinator and has a, a, a pedigree of winning at, at everywhere he's been, you know, even at Colorado last year, he, like Nick said, he won more games than they necessarily thought he was going to, but he also is a great recruiter. And I think that's really why they went after him so hard is that you got to think right now they're trying to save and salvage whatever recruiting class might be available. Um, you know, Mel Tucker at his time in Georgia and at his time in Alabama, got some of the best corners in the country to come to both of those schools. He coached them up very well, and he sent them on to the NFL. We haven't seen an NFL-caliber cornerback leave Michigan State since Trey Waynes and Darquez Denard. It's been a while. Um, but he's going to bring in a pedigree, and he's going to bring in what Michigan State wants to do, play good defense and you know, and run the football. And I think that that fits at least for them. So for Michigan State, this was a really, really good hire in my personal opinion. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was a good hire. I just, uh, you know, you got to question the character a little bit. Now, uh, how about replacements at Colorado, Nick? I know there's one name I completely, uh, I just know it's never going to happen, and that's Eric Bieniemy. I just, there, to me, there's absolutely no reason for him to leave Kansas City as the OC there because, you know, they have another decent year, and he's going to be getting head coach NFL offers. So for me, there's no way if I'm Eric Bieniemy, I would leave to go to Colorado. But there are some other decent names on this list. Uh, what are your thoughts on who is going to replace uh, Tucker at Colorado? Well, I think I think first and foremost, if if you're the athletic director at Colorado, you have to make Eric Bieniemy say no. Yes, because he he was a legendary player there. I mean, one of one of the best running backs ever in CU history. Uh, he has uh, coached there twice um, already and, of course, has, has made a, a great name for himself in the NFL. And, and uh, you're absolutely right that, that he was you know, mentioned so much uh, in this previous cycle and then, unfortunately, didn't, didn't work out for him to get a job this past year. Uh, part of the trade-off for that uh, was winning a Super Bowl. So, you know, that, that's certainly something, but uh, situations with alma maters are always uh, interesting. And, and for some people, there really is a pull to go back, to, to be the one to, to uh, breathe new life into a program. And, and I certainly don't know Eric Bieniemy. I, I haven't really kept up with him very well, uh, even in recent years while he's been in the NFL. But uh, So I'm not sure if he's that type of person, but there, those type of people do exist. So if he is that type of person, I, I think Colorado has to at least, uh, you know, make him an offer to to say no. And then if if he does say no, and it understandably, you know, it would be a big risk for him to take what's arguably one of the toughest Power Five jobs out there. Um, just sort of geographically, is not a, a situation that they've had a lot of success recruiting in, in you know, previous uh, tenures. And, and that's part of the reason why losing Tucker was such a big, uh, a big loss, I think, is he was able to do some really good things in his first go round as a recruiter and was able to tap into his connections in the South and, and things like that. And there really seemed to be some positive momentum going that way. And, and so uh, keeping that in mind, you know, the, the next People on the list, you have to think, okay, who's, who's going to bring something unique to the situation? Who's going to be able to, uh, you know, have ties in the West, but might also be able to uh, reach out and, and recruit areas in the South as well? Some of the names that I've heard mentioned just early on, Jim Levitt, who uh, I believe is now at FAU, if, if memory serves, but he was previously the defensive coordinator at, uh, at Colorado, was a coordinator at Oregon and then spent last year uh, on the staff uh, at Florida State. And, and so he's not necessarily a, a sexy name, but he's somebody that has ties, of course, to the state of Florida, but also is uh, coached in the Pac-12, has been a head coach. Uh, Butch Jones is uh, a name that I know uh, had been tossed around a, a really, I think, the last two times this job came open. And, and so that's somebody that uh, they might have an interest in. Uh, Personally, for, for me, that wouldn't be my, my favorite choice, but you know, Butch Jones has one, and he certainly uh, can recruit. So uh, that, that, I think, would, you know, they could 
do worse. Uh, wouldn't be my favorite hire, but but they could do worse. Uh, Jim McElwain at uh, Central Michigan did a, a nice turnaround job there. Uh, has of course coached in the SEC, um, so has ties in the South. He's from. Uh, Montana, so uh, does of course have experience in the West as well. So he might be a, a decent fit. And then one that that uh, I know at least one strong supporter of this. I, I was just listening to earlier uh, today Barton Simmons on a, on a podcast uh, talk about Troy Calhoun, who's the head coach at uh, Air Force, of course, in the state of Colorado, and and actually beat Colorado last year and and Calhoun has done some really good things at the Air Force Academy and and he's uh, uh you know they've run the option there but he doesn't necessarily have to run the option um and has some NFL experience uh Air Force being a, a military academy it wouldn't be a situation you know sort of like what we saw with Cincinnati and Luke Fickle and uh, Michigan State, where he had just brought in this this excellent recruiting class at the at the G five level, and, and momentum was really going uh, in that direction. That's not really ever an issue at, at Air Force. I mean, they bring in you know fifty guys a year, and basically all of them are, are two star players. So um, it, it would be a little bit different. Wouldn't necessarily feel like uh, he was leaving you know, some elite class uh, hanging like maybe somebody like Fickle would. So that sort of unique situation makes it that maybe he would entertain this if, if there were an option. And, and just before we started recording, I, I think I just saw a random, you know, somebody in, in replying to somebody's, you know, who's going to, who's a candidate tweet. Uh, somebody replied with a, a picture of Ken Niamatololo, and, and that would be an interesting one as well. Again, uh, a triple option coach doesn't necessarily have to run the triple option, even though that's his background, but uh, has certainly done some great things in the past and has entertained uh, some offers in the past as well. Was in the mix at Arizona a few years ago. Uh, his name always tends to come up, at, at, you know, if, if uh, BYU's ever mentioned as a, uh, an opening and, and uh, he has uh, he's, I believe, from the state of Hawaii and, and cer- certainly has, you know, a West Coast uh, reach as well and, and uh, could tap into some recruiting areas that would benefit uh, Colorado. So there there are uh, options, but the timing makes things just very, very yeah. difficult. And, and so I think if you're able to, to you know, the enemy would be just the absolute perfect fit, home right. run hire, and the fact that he's a, an NFL coach, the timing isn't as big of a deal. So if there's somebody else who's on a an NFL staff that that you know fits, check some of those similar boxes, then uh, maybe there's somebody out there that that just hasn't come to mind. But I think a situation like that, or a military academy head coach because they're in a unique situation, or uh, somebody that is a coordinator somewhere or not currently in coaching just seems to be, uh, unless you're promoting within, which I don't necessarily think that's the right thing Colorado should do. But uh, anyway, long way of saying there are options, but they are limited. And it's just such a unique situation that other than the enemy, you have to make him say no, in my opinion. But after that, then it could go 
any one of a hundred different directions. I, I'm not even sure uh, what would be the next most likely. Yeah, and I think you're absolutely right in that. Yeah. And I also completely agree that you have to make Eric Bieniemy say no, at least yep. publicly, because it doesn't make sense to not go after him. You have to make him say no. You're a hundred percent right there. But Xavier, I mean, uh, like. Uh, Nick mentioned here the timing's so weird it's it's very strange this isn't something that usually happens you know uh, obviously D'Antonio leaving in the middle of uh, you know uh, mired in controversy is no good either so it's just a difficult uh, weird thing to happen to have Mel Tucker leave at this time and like uh, Nick said it could go one of a hundred ways do you uh, do you have any ideas or a any preferences there? Well, I, I really like the Jim McElwain possibility. And the reason why is because he coached at Colorado. He coached at Colorado State from 2012 to 2014. Uh, that gives him a little bit more pedigree in the state as well as with recruits. Um, while he was at Colorado State, his last year there, he took him to 10-3. and three. And I think that obviously uh, this is a guy who's coached at the highest level. He coached at Florida. He still won at Florida. It wasn't to the extent that Florida wanted to see it. He still won games, though. And I think that he brings with him, you know, he, it's not, you know, Eric Bieniemy, but it's a guy who can ride the ship. He, he, he'll he get them back to where they need to be um, and maybe even better than that. I think that Jim McElwain would probably be my favorite out of the ones that you named. Um, and then Troy Calhoun, I think, is a is an interesting one. And the reason why he's an interesting one to me is because he's been at Air Force since 2007. So does he feel like he's ready? So he's obviously ready for a big move. But does he feel like he's, you know, he's ingratiated in that team too much to leave at this point? Um, You know, you've been at a program for 13 years. They may be able to get him out because of that very reason. But that also might be a, a, a stumbling block for them to get him overall. Um, And then obviously Butch Jones, as you said, you know, he reminds me of a guy just like Mel Tucker who would be able to come in. And the number one thing that he can do is recruit. He might not have won a lot of games at Tennessee, but he has some great recruiting classes. And I think that he would be able to bring that to um, Colorado. Right now, he's not a head coach. He's just an assistant. So I think that it would be uh, a nice move for him. It's not too big, but it's not too small either. Um, and it keeps him out of the public eye for a while, allows him to kind of build up his uh, rapport again in college football um, after, you know, some some not so great years down the stretch there in Tennessee, as well as now he's had the tutelage of Nick Saban over the last couple of years. So that's even something that has to be a draw if you're a Colorado fan um, to be, you know, taught and coached by a guy like Nick Saban to then take that kind of lessons that you've learned to Colorado would be nothing but a positive. Nick, you know, all of these coaching changes here kind of lead to a bigger question that you put on the sheet, and it's absolutely one that uh, I think needs to be in consideration here. It's what should happen to recruits that signed and then the coach leaves. I mean, you know, we talked about this a little bit last week with D'Antonio leaving and, um, you know, the school potentially letting those kids out of their letter of intent. And also uh, what should happen with Colorado now? Because we just passed signing day last week. Uh, I believe it was last week or two weeks ago. My times are getting all mixed up here. But uh, Just last week. Last week. Last okay. Week. Yeah. So uh, so what, what do you think should uh, happen with the recruits that uh, came to play for the coach and then the coach leaves days later? Yeah, well, I pretty much always am going to side with – uh, I guess, for lack of a better term, players' rights. I mean, I, I think that um, we've seen so much chatter in, in 
recent years, especially with the, um, you know, the, the amount of transfers that are uh, in college football today. And then, of course, coaches jumping from job to job that uh, on the one hand, you know, I think that everybody should be able to transfer um, without penalty. I mean, I think that there's been some momentum perhaps toward a, a sort of a universal, OK, everybody gets one one transfer without penalty. I, I think that would be a perfect way to go because, you know, quite honestly, I, I don't, I don't have any ill will toward Mel Tucker specifically making this move or, or any coach making a move. I mean, somebody's, you know, gonna gonna if I uh, were doing a great job and and somebody said, okay, I'm gonna pay you twice as much as you're making right now to do the same thing in a new place. I would certainly entertain that. I mean, I think all of us probably would, and and most people out, you know, in the real world would uh, entertain somebody saying, "Okay, I'm going to give you, you know, 120 percent of what you're making right now, um, and then you know, give you the tools necessary to to hire, you know, the best people to to put around you." I think everybody uh, would would certainly entertain that, and a lot of us would take that opportunity. So um, I, I certainly don't blame him, but I, I think that it it is uh, really tough for players that came, you know, to play for a certain coach. And I, I think they're in today's college football. Players have to have their eyes open. It's probably you know best to to think, okay, I need to commit to a school, not a coach, because I mean, position coaches are moving around all the time. I mean, the the chances of you having the same position coach all three to five years is is almost zero. Uh, head coaches, you think that there's probably a a, a better chance that you're, they're going to be there your entire career. But even then, I mean, it, it you know, guys move around so much that it, it makes sense to uh, not get too tied to a head coach. But, you know, you, you build relationships with these coaches and, and uh, a lot of guys, you know, they, they're signed with Colorado. It's February and they're not expecting uh, Mel Tucker to, to be gone in, in, you know, seven days. But uh, all of a sudden things change completely. And, and so maybe Colorado doesn't seem like the right choice anymore especially you don't know who's coming in and and you know might be different systems maybe there's uh, a relationship you know maybe the new coach you you didn't get along with in the recruiting process or something like that so i i think that players should colorado specifically here but i think anytime that a move like this happens especially right after signing day uh, i think those players should be able to move without penalty. Uh, I think it would be great if, if it were just a universal thing for transfers in general. But I think in this situation, absolutely. Uh, I would hope that Colorado, uh, just like Michigan state, I, I would hope, uh, if people, you know, if players signed to, to play specifically for Mark D'Antonio for some reason, uh, that, that they should have an opportunity to move without penalty. I think the same should be, uh, the, you know, the case here at Colorado. Yeah, I mean, stuff like this with Mel Tucker leaving after saying, I'm not going to go and Mark D'Antonio stepping down right before investigations and stuff like this. This, These are the things that make it unbelievably uh, laughable and 
eye rollable and all that stuff when a coach says, you know, I don't think that players entering the transfer portal, uh, you know, I wouldn't want to take any because that means that they're flip floppers or whatever. It's just ridiculous. And and Xavier, yeah. I, I think you have that same opinion, right? Oh, absolutely. It, it's ridiculous to think that a coach can pick up his entire life, his family and everything and move um, at the drop of a dime. But for a kid to do the same thing is not possible. Um, and it's unfortunate that these kids will now have to then if they do decide to stay because they don't have the opportunity to leave right away. Now they have to sit out a year for something that they didn't do. They, they're not, you know, and, and I think that in certain situations like the one we're having right now, these kids should be able to leave and play right away. Because it's unfair to the, these kids who did nothing wrong. They picked a school that they thought the head coach was going to be at for them to leave and then have to be punished by sitting out a year for what? They didn't do anything wrong. They're not transferring so that they can play right or, right away. They're not transferring because, you know, they lost their spot or anything like that. Their coach left. And, and it's unfortunate that, you know, maybe half of this recruiting class or even a, a small portion of this recruiting class is probably going to leave and going to have to sit out a year to uh, to then finally play college football for their very first season. Yeah, I mean, and I, I'm just never going to any person that that moves on from where they were, you know, maybe sometimes you don't agree with the decision like we all kind of thought found it weird when Ro Rocky Long left San Diego State, but there was something obvious there that he didn't like. So moving, uh, you know, to improve your situation, whatever it is, financially, uh, personally, for your kids you know, do it. Our opinion shouldn't matter in that case. So I'm not against Mel Tucker leaving Colorado to go to Michigan State. I thought it was a little, you know, cowardly that D'Antonio left uh, Michigan State right before this investigation. And he also says, oh, well, that had nothing to do with it. I find that to be complete BS. But that's my opinion. You know, uh, he may this may have been something that, uh was factoring in for him, and that was the thing that pushed him over. You know what I mean? It could have been a smaller factor than um, what I would think it is because I think he left for that reason. But I'm never going to blame someone for moving, including the students. Now, speaking of moving, we had a lot of moving and shaking with uh, position uh, assistants and uh, coaches here, Nick. Uh, Scott Linehan replaced uh, Joe Brady as the passing game coordinator at LSU. And then we had more movement at Tennessee, Florida, USC, and ASU. So can you tell us about those moves a little bit? Yeah, well, the the Scott Linehan hires is interesting because obviously Joe Brady was uh, basically the rock star assistant coach of the 2019 season, came in and, and was given – basically all the credit for turning around the LSU offense and then whether or not that was a hundred percent deserved. I think we can uh, say for sure that, that uh, his influence bringing uh, experience from uh, the New Orleans saints and, and then uh, just sort of his, his uh, other skills as well as a, as a um, passing game coordinator was, was his specific role. But then I think he certainly did have a lot to do with the overall game planning and, and did uh, call some plays uh, at LSU. So uh, it's a big loss, as, as we've talked about before. And, and so it's interesting to see this hire because Linehan is a longtime NFL coach, and, and I've heard uh, Ed Ogeron talk about how uh, that was really where he wanted to go. And, and in a lot of respects, it, it's a similar hire to – 
Brady. I mean, Brady, you know, spent one year, I think it was, with the Saints and, and came back, but but had that NFL uh, knowledge and experience and, and all of that, uh, but had been a uh, college assistant uh, for most of his career leading up to that point, most of his young career. Linehan, it, it's, it's different because he's been in the NFL for so long. So I think the first reaction for a lot of people was, oh, no, you know, is this like an old school NFL guy similar to, you know, like Cam Cameron we saw at LSU um, in, the, in the previous uh, regime that, that was uh, really a lot of that uh, too traditional, too, uh, you know, old school pro style offense. There, there was a, an immediate reaction among some people of, oh, no, LSU's going back to, to what it once was. And hopefully that's you know, not going to be the case. I, I would be very surprised if uh, if that were the case, but that was sort of a, a, a gut reaction. I'll be honest, I don't know a, a ton about Linehan specifically. Uh, I, I, you know, haven't spent very much time uh, watching the NFL in, in recent years, but uh, I, you know, have to have to think that he's going to come in and, and bring uh, some new ideas and, and uh, has strengths that they'll be able to uh, fold into the rest of the offensive coaching staff. And, and I would be surprised if there were any major changes uh, from last year's, you know, play calling and playbook and, and things like that, because Steve, uh, Steve Ensminger is, is uh, still on staff there. So uh, I, I don't think that we're going to see a, a big change because of this move, but I thought it was notable because of course, Joe Brady is, was, that rock star assistant last year. But uh, as for the rest of the, the moves, uh, the, the coaching carousel at the, at the lower levels at the position coaching levels is just started. I mean, we're, we're uh, talking about head coaches, you know, for months now, and it seems like it's been going on forever, but um, traditionally right after signing day, that's when a lot of the, you know, Defensive line coaches, running back coaches, tight ends coaches are, are moving. And uh, a lot of the names that I've heard uh, recently are sort of the, the uh, some of the top end yet behind the scenes recruiting guys that, uh, you know, Arizona State did a lot of good work in Southern California in this most recent cycle. They just lost their defensive line coach, who was a big part of that, to Oklahoma. USC uh, is rebuilding its defensive uh, coaching staff after hiring Todd Orlando, they were just able to pluck one of the uh, most respected uh, recruiters off of Oregon staff. And Oregon, of course, has been big in Southern California the last couple of cycles and, and has done some great things in the Pac-12 recruiting, really, you know, pulling in some of the top classes the last couple of years. Uh, and, and, you know, Tennessee's had to make some moves on its uh, defensive line staff. South Carolina, uh, is making some moves on the offensive side of the ball. So we're going to hear a lot of different moving parts in, in you know future weeks. None of them are probably you know just major, major moves, but uh, it's something to, to be aware of because it, it's going to keep happening in, you know the next month or so uh, as these teams start to move towards spring ball. Xavier, did you have an opinion on any of these moves, including the Linehan one? I did not. I was actually reading ahead. Um, because I did have an opinion <laughs> on Ohio State players, but oh. no, uh, I did not have any about on, on this one. No. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's get to the Ohio State players then, because <clears throat> Amir Reap and uh, Jocelyn Went both were projected uh, defensive back starters for Ohio State. 
this upcoming year in 2020. They are suspended definitely following some pretty ugly charges here, Xavier. So what what is your opinion on uh, this whole situation? Because I haven't read too much into it here. Oh, this is just gross. I mean, that, that point blank, plain and simple, this is just disgusting. Uh, there are on counts of rape and kidnapping. Um, and I won't go into any too many, uh, too many graphic details. Uh, you can read up on that if you cho- choose to. Uh, but the two turned themselves in uh, on February 4th. Um, oh, they, the rape happened on February 4th, but they just turned themselves in recently, uh, as according to this article. But, um, I mean, this is this is terrible. And this is why I'm going to go into a smaller rant, but this is why when someone does call for rape on a college campus that the players immediately are, you know, guilty because we have situations like this, where in this case they are absolutely guilty. But when you then try to get the woman to say that it was consensual on video, just to clear your name because you knew you just did something wrong, it gives a black eye to everybody else who may or may not be guilty. So for these two players, I hope they get the full extent of the law put down on them um, because this is disgusting and I do not stand for this whatsoever. And uh, yeah, I hope they're they're never playing football again because this is ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I didn't read much into it, Nick. Did you, uh, do you have any other further comment on that story? No, no. I mean, I, 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 uh, uh, haven't haven't dived too much into the details yet, but it, it sounds like just an awful uh, situation. And and uh, you know, I think we we always have, you know whatever the the situation, we have to be careful to say uh, you know allegedly and and all those sorts of things. But um, it it certainly seems bad. And it, it 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 all indication there you know these guys are going to be done at Ohio State, and uh, if if uh, you know, if, if it is uh, determined to be uh, true and, and uh, you know, found guilty and whatnot and underst- uh, deservedly so. So, uh, no, it's it's uh, just something I thought taking we away, should note. <laughs> taking away the ugliness of, of this right. whole scenario here, Nick, what uh, w- when you reran the numbers without these guys on the team, did it change much for Ohio State's, um, you know, outlook for this season? It, it wasn't a huge change. Uh, Ohio State in the secondary was already a, a position of concern as much as any Ohio State position is concerned. I mean, they're, they're pretty much loaded everywhere. But from an experience standpoint, um, the secondary is, is one of the least experienced units. So, um, uh, you know, losing two guys that I had penciled in in our early 2020 team profiles as starters from a football standpoint is – you know, that's a hit. So uh, they've got obviously a very talented recruiting class coming in and, and there will be players that are certainly capable of stepping in and, and starting and playing and, and all of that. And I think Ohio State, just from a program standpoint, is not going to see a major a major uh, hit, but it is a, a position if there if there were a weakness, uh, the defensive backfield is is sort of at the, the front of uh, what could potentially be a weakness just because they lost so much from last year. All right. So let's talk about this, Nick. I know you like this. Uh, Bill Connolly has an article that you kind of like as a uh, jumping into the 2020 season. So do you want to kind of explain what it is and what it is that he does here in this article? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I would think a lot of our listeners are probably familiar with with uh, Bill, who was at SB Nation for a long time, has just uh, moved to ESPN before the uh, start of the 2019 season. And, and uh, every offseason in uh, late January, early February, he puts together his list of uh, the percentages of returning production for all FBS teams. And, and I think it is a, a great jumping off point because he does – uh, go back and, and look uh, year after year to uh, find what are the stats that correlate most with future success as far as experience. And, and you know, things like passing yards uh, obviously are, are pretty highly correlated. If you're having to replace a quarterback, that's a big deal. He found years ago that uh, receiving yards had a big impact. And, and uh, on defense, uh, things like uh, havoc plays, so tackles for loss, sacks, interceptions, those have the biggest impact. And, and uh, believe it or not, we always talk about you know how games are won and lost in the trenches, but he's found over the years in, in his research that actually things like offensive line starts are not that big a deal, and, and defensive line actually might be the least correlated, uh, according to, to his most recent write-up. So um, I, I think it's a great jumping-off point uh, because uh, in years past, at least, he's pretty much only done it uh, this this one time. And a lot of people will refer to it even in, you know, June or July. And at that point, a lot of the, you know, maybe maybe 90% of the information is still relevant. But one of the things that uh, CFB Winning Edge did last year for our patrons, and I, I think it was uh, one of the, the best things that we did, actually built an entire uh, returning production database. And, and that was only available to our tier three patrons because it took, I mean, hundreds of hours to, to put together. But uh, we were able to go through and, and put the rosters and the stats of every team and actually, you know, run calculations and, and uh, keep them uh, up to date, you know, daily. Anytime somebody transferred, anytime somebody was suspended, we could update all that information. So um, I think this is a, a great start. And if Bill uh, does you know update these numbers throughout the year? I think that would be uh, amazing. But if not, if you're interested in, in seeing these numbers, uh, how they might change with any you know transfers after spring practice or, or anything like that, uh, we are going to uh, rebuild that database for 2020. So that's something to look forward to in the coming months uh, for our our current patrons and our our future patrons. So, uh, but yeah, this this is just sort of a a, a great uh, piece because oftentimes you'll find uh, the top 10 teams are overwhelmingly uh, likely to win more games next year. The bottom 10 teams are overwhelmingly likely to lose more games next year. So I thought it would be good to just uh, hit some of the high notes. I mean, people, uh, if you're interested in this sort of thing, probably have already read this, but I uh, thought we could share, you know, some of the teams that uh, sort of stuck out. There were some that I didn't realize uh, were going to be so low in certain areas. Yeah, I'm I, sure we'll get I think the team's losing um... – the players are a little more interesting than the, the teams retaining. I mean, the top 10 retaining teams here are Northwestern is number one overall, Georgia Tech, Houston, surprisingly, uh, East Carolina, <laughs> USC, which scares me for Nick because Nick is on <laughs> that train this year. Yes, he is. Uh, oh, we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> Virginia Tech, 
Old Dominion, UAB, uh, Oklahoma State, and the college football powerhouse that is known as Rice. Uh, and then we have the, the teams that are losing the most. Uh, North Texas, obviously, with Mason Fine being gone. Uh, that's a big hit. Tulane, FIU losing their quarterback as well. Eastern Michigan is losing a ton. Michigan, I'm sure Jim Harbaugh is going to be able to keep his job after this year. Uh, Kansas with Les Miles losing a bunch, but that might be an improvement. Uh, LSU we knew was losing a ton, obviously. Not just Joe Brady, but with a lot of players as well. Air Force losing a lot, which uh, may make the move to Colorado a little bit uh, easier. Uh, UTEP and Utah losing the most this season so uh nick tell me uh about these top 10 either way and anyone else that you think is uh significant here i i too am uh, scared to death that usc is returning so much and 25th uh most returning production on offense and seventh on defense and and uh they bring back a lot of guys that were injured for large portions of of last season so they are uh, pretty high in our, our preseason projections. And, and uh, that makes me, of course, nervous because they've fallen short of expectations uh, year over year recently. So uh, that that certainly makes me nervous. Oklahoma State being at, at number nine was something that I certainly didn't see a couple of months ago uh, when we thought that Chuba Hubbard and, and Tylen Wallace, uh, at least one I, I expected would go to the NFL, but to get both of those guys back is, is big. And they just actually added uh, probably somebody who's going to start at, at corner uh, in the, the transfer portal, former Missouri defensive back Christian Holmes. So uh, that I don't think was even, even though Bill has put in transfers into these numbers, uh, that I, I guessing didn't meet uh, his deadline. So they're, they're even a little bit higher than eighth as far as their returning production on deep uh, defense. But uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Michigan, I mean, that's not necessarily a situation that you want to be in 125th when you're chasing after Ohio State, LSU basically starting over on offense. They're going to be the third least experienced team as far as returning production on offense. And, and then Utah dead last defensively in, in returning production. It's going to be big. We'll, we'll talk about Utah here in a bit in our, in our initial rankings. They are too high, much too high. Um, and a big part of it is uh, that that defensive production i mean they, they're starting over in the secondary uh they have one guy coming back on the defensive line so um going to be a lot of changes for utah and and uh, even though they've got some building blocks but uh, they're they're uh, going to be one of the least experienced teams in the nation next year and that's you know that's going to be difficult uh what about some of these teams uh that you've highlighted over here like um uh, for instance, you have uh, A&M and Virginia. Are these just teams that uh, mm -hmm. you noticed and also are more highly ranked according to CFP winning edge to start the season? Well, Texas A&M is interesting. We've talked about them briefly before. I, I uh, Before they lost a few players to the NFL draft, it looked like they were going to return maybe 10 starters on both offense and defense, but they ended up um, losing a couple of guys that maybe I didn't expect uh, to the NFL draft. So they're, uh, you know, they, they took a little bit of a hit, but they're still the most experienced team uh, from a returning production standpoint in the SEC. And, you know, they're a talented team. So that I thought was interesting to note. Virginia is an interesting one. They've always been top of mind or, or have been since 
the the preseason last year because we were much lower on Virginia than most uh, you know traditional outlets or, or really even other analytical outlets. Um, and it it surprised me because we knew Virginia was going to lose a lot of offensive production with. Um, you know, losing the quarterback and, and things like that. But I did not realize at, at first glance um, that they were going to be so high in defensive uh, returning production. And part of that is they suffered a lot of injuries as well, especially in the secondary. Uh, they lost a couple of their uh, top linebackers for, for games at a time. So that has something to do with it. But Virginia was a, a pretty strong team defensively for, for most of the year, even though um, – they, you know, did have so many injuries, and, and for them to to return so much on that side of the football is a, is a good sign for a team that I think a lot of us expect to take a step back now that Bryce Perkins is, is gone. So that one just jumped out to me. They're they're you know middle of the pack overall, fifty sixth, but that much of their defense coming back was notable. Some of the teams that that lost more maybe than I expected. Arizona State. I think a lot of people are, are going to go into 2020 pretty high on Arizona State because Jaden Daniels coming back at, at quarterback, but they only return uh, the 98th ranked amount of returning production on offense. I mean, basically everywhere else, they've got questions on offense. So that's that's going to be a concern. And so uh, I, I've heard in, in a couple of Pac-12 circles that, you know, uh, the, the people that pay attention more to the Pac-12 are saying, hey, wait, you know, slow it down a little bit on, on the Arizona State hype. They've got a lot more questions than maybe the national uh, consensus would indicate. Uh, Notre Dame, I, I thought before they lost a couple of guys to the NFL draft, they were going to be very high in our preseason numbers. And they're still in the top 10, but I was thinking they were going to be a top five preseason team. And, and as it shakes out, they are 64th in offensive returning production and 102nd on defense. Minnesota, I didn't realize that they were going to be one of the least experienced teams in the country on defense. That That's going to be big because uh, right now they're potentially going to be our, our uh, favorite in the Big Ten West. Uh, a lot of time, of course, between now and our official preseason predictions. But uh, to be starting over basically at, at – you know, several defensive positions is going to be a little bit of a hit. On the flip side, Oregon. Oregon ranks 89th in overall returning production, and they're high on defense. I mean, they they are in the top 20 as far as what they return on defense, but 124th offensively, and quarterback, of course, being a big part of that, that that's going to be an issue, and they also replace four starters on the offensive line. They've got a great one. Uh, left tackle Pene Sewell might be the best offensive lineman that we've seen I've seen some say maybe he's the best offensive line, college offensive lineman we've seen since Orlando Pace. I'm not sure if that's necessarily the case, but um, he's he's the only one coming back from a from a experience standpoint. And then looking into the triple digits overall, Washington is is pretty high in our our preseason Pac-10 numbers, but they're 104th and one of the least experienced offenses in the country. Uh, Baylor, we know there's been a lot of transition there. They're, you know, probably need to, to dial back the expectations at Baylor uh, from what they were, you know, what they could have been uh, without so much turnover after such a strong year last year. And then Mississippi State, uh, you know, Mike Leach is coming in, changing things. Uh, offensively, we knew the defense was going to take a step back uh, statistically as a result. But the fact that they are 
going to be one of the least experienced defenses in the uh, SEC and rank 113th in the country, that's a bit of an issue. I mean, Mississippi State might play a lot of, you know, uh, 50 to 40 type games next year. Uh, we could expect a, a lot, a lot of points, even more than maybe we expected in, in those games. Uh, and then, you know, based on today's news, interesting that Colorado ranks 115th, Michigan State ranks 117th. So no matter where Mel Tucker was, uh, <laughs> he was going to have a, uh, an inexperienced team in 2020. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, these are all great points to make, and obviously will be brought up more and get into the specifics as we go into the conferences. But are you guys ready to talk about the Pac-12? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, Xavier, give me a break. Why do you hate the Pac-12 so much? Come because on. Because they suck as a conference. I I don't think they suck as a conference. <laughs> I I don't think you know I don't think they're nearly you know as bad as you. You give them too much credit, uh, bad credit. So they they're going to payday loans. Uh, in the only reason why you're saying that is because you live too close to Pac-12 fans. Uh, the I mean, only reason why you're saying maybe I do, but I think Nick's going to agree with me. There's at least one team I know that he loves in the Pac-12. But let's get <laughs> let's get into looking at uh, last season first, and we'll go through the standings. Uh, starting with the Pac-12 North, Oregon eight and one overall, uh, or twelve and two overall, eight and one in the conference. Uh, no one else in the North had a winning conference record. Washington was four and five, eight and five overall. Uh, Cal Cal was four and five, eight and five overall as well. Oregon State four and five, five and seven overall. Uh, Washington State six and seven overall, three and six in the conference, and Stanford a terribly disappointing year, uh, four and eight overall, three and six in the conference. Looking at the South, we had Utah eleven and three, eight and one in the conference. Uh, USC eight and five overall, seven and two in the conference. UCLA four and eight overall, four and five in the conference. A- ASU eight and five, four and five within the conference. Uh, Colorado five and seven, three and six in the conference, and U of A four and eight and two and seven in the conference. So, Nick, what did you see from the the Pac twelve in the twenty nineteen season? Well, uh, there <laughs> it was sort of a, a tale of two divisions for uh, our numbers because we talked about it, you know, time uh, a few times before that. We were very high on Stanford, just from a games they were going to be favored in. Somehow, some way, we had Stanford favored in 11 games, including all of their Pac-12 games, and and uh, that's something that I've I've looked you know long and hard at all season. Is that uh, <laughs> loss total just kept piling up? Uh, I, I knew we were too high, and and we actually only expected them to win about seven and a half games on average, which we we expected Washington to win closer to nine games. Uh, Oregon, we were we had them favored in 10 games, but expected them to only win uh, eight and, and a third, basically, uh, of a game on average based on all our uh, win uh, percentage projections for, for each game. But um, knew that we were too high on Stanford. That made me very, very nervous, and, and they just fell completely flat. So that was a, a major disappointment. But then uh, in the other division – we pretty much got things close to right. I mean, had Utah favored at 11 regular season games, including eight in Pac-12 play, and, and that played out perfectly 
uh, as expected. And, and I was a little bit nervous that we were uh, so high on Utah because uh, most people didn't necessarily expect them to make a run at a potential playoff spot. And, and they were certainly knocking on the door. USC, we had fairly modest expectations. Only had them favored in six games, expected them to win about six and a half. They actually overachieved just a little bit. Uh, Arizona State, I think we were higher than most had them projected to win eight regular season games. They won seven, and then the bowl game got them to eight, so felt pretty good about that. Colorado surprised us a little bit, as we, we mentioned earlier. Only had them expected to win four games, but only had them favored in two, and, and they overachieved. Uh, and then similarly, back in the north, Oregon State, You know, I think uh, pretty much everybody – expected Oregon State to lose double-digit games. Everything I read, everything I saw in the preseason, Oregon State was just, you know, uh, automatic number 12 in your power rankings. Uh, Who are they going to beat in the Pac-12? All of that. We only had them favored in one game. They won five, won four uh, in conference, which which was huge. Um, Cal, we were too low on. They won eight. Uh, overall, and, and we only expected them to win about five and, and maybe knock on the door of a bowl game, and, and they were much better than expected, and, and they're probably one of the biggest risers heading in uh, to 2020, as we'll get to here in a little bit. But yeah, it was, it was uh, you know, there, there were surprises, Oregon State probably being my, my biggest surprise, Stanford, of course, my biggest disappointment. Washington is certainly in the mix because they were in our top 15 all season and actually even finished 14th in our final power ratings, uh, despite losing five games, which nobody pretty much saw coming. So uh, they were a disappointment as well, but nothing nothing quite compares to Stanford. Uh, Xavier, what did you think of the Pac-12 this season? Well, um, <laughs> my, my biggest I say that with trepidation, by the way. <laughs> I know. It's cool. Um, but my biggest surprises for this week, my pleasant surprises for this year were Arizona State, um, I love what Jane Daniels and those guys were able to do. Obviously, I thought the Michigan State win at, at the beginning of the year was a little bit better than what it ended up turning out to be. Uh, uh, they were able to beat a Florida State team at the end of the year um, that, at least talent-wise, according to the numbers, uh, was way better than them talent-wise. Uh, but they were able to – and just because solely they were able to do it with three different quarterbacks, it's never an easy thing to do. You know, when you have turnaround at the most important position in football, you you ex- expect uh, a lot of uh, hiccups. And uh, yeah, they have five losses, but they were able to go seven and two uh, in their division. They were eight and five overall, uh, and they and they won some big games. They were uh, upset Utah last year, um, who we all know was one win away really from possibly being in the college football playoff. So uh, that has to be you know a pleasant surprise for me. One of my bigger disappointments, obviously, was Stanford. Um, as a Davis Shaw fanboy, it was really tough to see them get smacked around all season long. Uh, but uh, hopefully better things for them in 2020. And one of my thoughts was, unfortunately, I have Oregon on here. It wasn't They, were, they weren't necessarily a disappointment. I just expected them to be in the playoff. Um, I'm not going to lie. Their competition twice last year, uh, Arizona State, and obviously um, against Auburn. I think they were better than both of those ball clubs, and I think that they showed that in the way that they won the uh, the Rose Bowl and the way that they dismantled Utah in the Pac-12 championship game. It's just unfortunate that we couldn't see that team play in the college football playoff. I would have loved to see them over in Oklahoma uh, just because uh, um, coming, in, coming into the year, they were one of my favorites to make it to the playoff um, with that 
dirty offensive line, a defense that was underrated at, underrated with some, some younger guys but could make plays with a top 10 pick at the quarterback position. I really thought Oregon was going to uh, run the table this year. Um, and, and what I, and what it was a little disappointing to not see them in the playoff. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm with you as far as Oregon. I mean, you know, just a couple misses here and there uh, for them, and they would have been in the playoff. And I, too, would have liked to have seen them ahead of Oklahoma make it into the playoff, of course. <laughs> but, uh, Nick, let's get to this season, and we'll start out with the Pac-12 North. And, um, you know, it's funny. I feel like we may have an overcorrection a little bit on one of these teams, <laughs> but... Uh, the way that we have it set right now is uh, as far as the North goes, the bottom barrel here is Stanford. And bottom barrel isn't necessarily bad overall uh, because as it stands right now, they're still 62. So they're in the, you know, the top half of the nation as far as the teams go. Uh, they're returning seven on offense and seven in defense. Oregon State is fifth. They're one spot ranked ahead of uh, Stanford at 61. They only have four returners on offense, but nine on defense. Uh, Cal is at uh, four in the north, uh, 51 overall. Uh, 10 returners on offense, which may not actually be that good for Cal as the offense hasn't been fantastic for them. But, you know, when you move experience by a, a full season, uh, usually that can count for something big. Only five returners on defense and including Evan Weaver being gone is not going to help out. Washington State is ranked third, 45 overall, uh, returning six on offense and nine on defense. But, of course, having a changeover uh, potentially offensive systems just a touch, but uh, they still should fit um, for Rolovich there. Uh, second ranked in the North is Washington at 22 overall, only four returners on offense and six on defense. We just mentioned them uh, talking about the Bill Connolly article. And number one, of course, is Oregon. They are a top 10 team with five returners on offense and eight on defense. So, uh, Nick, uh, why don't why don't you tell us how the North, uh, in your opinion, is going to break down for this season? I'm, I'm really intrigued to see how these numbers shift over uh, the preseason because it is important to note that th these are our initial numbers. Uh, we're taking into account a lot of data from 2019, you know, team performance ratings and, and things like that. I'm in the process of updating our uh, head coach ratings. Uh, we'll be folding in coordinator ratings uh, for the first time. So these numbers are going to change. And then, of course, there's plenty of, you know, transfers still to happen, injuries and, and things like that. But the, the first thing that sticks out, I think you're right, maybe Stanford, a bit of an over correction uh had them first in the preseason and and now uh last so uh is there probably middle ground in there maybe but then something that jump you know jumps out to me as a big red flag is they've already had 11 players transfer out and, and that's an issue i mean they're they're uh something doesn't seem quite right and i've seen some explanations of oh well there's you know the the uh grad school at stanford is so difficult to get in to and so some of these guys are just able to you know uh, move on and, and go elsewhere and, and things like that but uh, to my knowledge you know when Stanford was winning Rose Bowls 
getting guys into grad school wasn't really that much of an issue. So why is it now after they're coming off of a, a four win season? So uh, that that's something to just keep in mind. I know they've had some changes uh, over in their their uh, you know strength and conditioning staff. They had a longtime guy there who was forced out last uh, summer, I believe, and and uh, that might have you know led to some things here or there. They certainly had tons of injury issues, and that is something that we account for have put those guys back in the depth chart but um you know they, they've got questions they've, they've got uh some concerns on both lines of scrimmage they lost a, a you know one of their biggest areas that have been hurt from transfers so far uh is the line of scrimmage I and mean, they lost a couple of guys who are projected to start on the offensive line a couple of guys who are contributors on the defensive line so those are those are going to be areas uh where they you know, are, are going to need to play much better in 2020. And, and you know, we're going to have to see that, even though they do have a, a decently rated offensive line, according to our numbers. And some of that is a lot of those guys who were injured last year who were coming back. I, I think a bigger concern is their overall identity. I mean, this, this just did not, they, they just didn't look good, uh, really, ever. <laughs> I mean, last year they they, they were uh, difficult to watch. And, and so you have to wonder, I mean, I, I'm a huge uh, fan of David Shaw as well, but uh, you know, week after week, when they're losing games, when according to our numbers, they had uh, the more talented team. His head coach rating took a tumble. Uh, it's going to take a little bit for for him to recover from that, and our numbers to to start respecting him more as an upper tier head coach uh, in the Pac-12. Uh, you know, right now he, he's uh, second from the bottom, third from the bottom in head coach rating in, in the conference, and uh, you know I, I have more respect for him than that. So I, I think that uh, hopefully with a, a recruiting class that's in the top twenty-five, get some of those guys come in and. and play a big role earlier than maybe they would have in years past uh, for Stanford when there weren't as many holes to fill. But uh, this is a team that that's, again, just going to be weird watching. And, and I think that they're probably going to be a little bit better than sixth in the Pac-12, but uh, they're certainly uh, a, a bit of a, you know, a bit of a question mark. On the flip side, Oregon has one of the most talented uh, position groups basically everywhere. I mean, running back, receiver, offensive line, defensive line, uh, and in the secondary, they are either at or near the top of the Pac-12 as far as our uh, roster strength numbers. They have uh, obviously some some turnover at quarterback. That's going to be the biggest question mark. And then, of course, you know, the offensive line. They, they've got some guys there, but uh, only one is is experienced and and quarterback they're basically starting over after four years of justin herbert so those are those are question marks you don't want but from basically every other position on the roster oregon is is sitting pretty they are a you know easily the favorite in the north and uh probably are going to be a, a runaway favorite in the in the conference as a whole i mean i like oregon for the north for sure, Xavier, uh, are are you going to have Stanford at the bottom of the North here? I know you love David Shaw, but they were rough last year and lost their quarterback. I mean, you have to, and it's unfortunate because I I do think if they were to were to have kept on to Costello, that they wouldn't be nearly down this far. But you got to look at last year and that they lost, uh, you know, their starting quarterback and. Do are they going to get that much better? Yes, they had a top twenty-five recruiting class. Um, yes, they returned seven starters on defense and offense, 
But is that necessarily a good thing after ha- how bad they performed last season? Um, Oregon State is a team that, you know, rode the wave and was a- and really looked you know, kind of impressive down the stretch. Cal was a team that went in, uh, went to a bowl game last year. Washington State, although they lose Mike Leach, um, and I think that they could be somebody who, you know, really struggles. They got a guy who fits the, uh, fits the bill in Rolovich. Um, Washington is a good team, and they lost um, Eason, but – you know, they have returning starters on defense and they brought in a top 20 class. And then Oregon just brings back so much talent. Nick talked about it earlier. They bring back a top 20 defense. Uh, this is a top 10 FBS ranked team. Uh, you really don't see anywhere where Stanford, you know, is able to jump somebody um, unless somebody just has a season like they did last year where they just don't perform. And, and it just seems like they keep taking loss after loss after loss. Uh, but right now, as we're talking in the offseason, it just doesn't look like Stanford is going to get out of the basement at all. Now, how about uh, the uh, South here? Because uh, we've got Colorado coming in at 96 overall and at the bottom of the South. Uh, Arizona, uh, Kevin Sumlin's head coaching rating isn't helping him here, Nick. I like that. <laughs> He's down at 91 and they're fifth. Uh, UCLA uh, jumps up a little bit there four, but ranked 69 overall. ASU only has four returning starters on offense, eight on defense, but uh, the the quarterback, Jaden Daniels, is coming back. And there is something to be said about that step from freshman to sophomore year as being one of the biggest, clearly. So they're ranked 47 overall. We're on the USC hype train here. Uh, two in this um, in the South, but 18 overall and Utah even though we talked about them losing so much and USC bringing so much back eight returners on offense 10 on defense the opposite for Utah seven on offense but only two starters on defense obviously they've got uh some good recruiting classes in the second best in the south here at 29 overall and uh, Arizona State was 24 uh is Utah really going to be able to not only win this um, division here, but keep USC at bay or even ASU at bay with losing that much, Nick? Personally, I, I don't think so. And and uh, part of the reason, as I mentioned, you know, there's there's still so much 2019 data in there, and and I am uh, folding in a few more things this year than than were in the mix last year. So I'm, I'm going to be turning the knobs a little bit on, on things. And, and uh, Utah basically is getting a lot of the benefit of the doubt in some ways from Kyle Whittingham. I mean, he, he does have the highest rating uh, among head coaches, uh, according to our numbers. I am going to be uh, revamping those numbers in, in the next month. So uh, it's possible that he might not have as big of an advantage. He might have even more of an advantage. I'm, I'm not certain exactly how that's going to shape out, you know, shake out just yet. Uh, but that that's, I think, uh, part of the reason here. Uh, a second part of the reason is even though they lost, uh, really, they lost so much on, on both sides of the ball. Tyler Huntley, the, the quarterback, of course, and, and Zach Moss, uh, one of the best running backs in the country. Both of those guys are, are gone. But uh, our numbers, because we do take into account experience and, and career production, uh, South Carolina transfer Jake Bentley has had a, a decent past statistically. Uh, mm-hmm. he, uh, he was, he was uh, fairly well 
regarded as a high school recruit. He started over 30 games at South Carolina before he got hurt last year. Grad transfers to Utah. He is one of the higher rated quarterbacks in the conference. And, and so that makes that one makes me a little bit nervous because uh, Jake Bentley seems overrated. And, and that might be because we just haven't seen him in over, uh, you know, pretty much over a year um, other than what the first half of, of last year's season opener. Uh, so that makes me nervous. Uh, uh, relying on a grad transfer to come in and right away, you know, uh, having him rated so high, can he really have the impact that our numbers are expecting? Uh, on that note, I'm also nervous because Dorian Thompson-Robinson at, at UCLA is, uh, because of, of some of the good things that he's done in the past statistically, some of the, the bigger games, you know, it's been hit or miss, sort of boom or bust under him at times. Right now, UCLA has our highest rated quarterback room. That makes me nervous because really, you know, I, I've wanted – uh, Chip Kelly to, to you know jumpstart UCLA. They should be you know he's had a talented roster has has you know been uh, an innovator in years past. Has been one of the one of the you know brightest offensive minds in the game, and, and we just haven't seen it at UCLA. Is this the year? You know now that Dorian Thompson Robinson's entering his junior year, he was of course very highly rated as a high school recruit he does now have experience have we have seen flashes but we haven't seen consistency just yet um i think ucla potentially could make a move but i think you're right that there's a clear line between the top half and the bottom half uh at least at this point usc i think should be the favorite uh, from a from a roster standpoint on paper usc is absolutely loaded they do not have a weakness on their roster uh, the running, you know, they have two guys who've, who've gone through a full season basically as a starting quarterback. Both of them have been injured at times, but you know, they, they have the the ability to get it done. Running back, that was a, a an issue last year. Injuries throughout the the entire season, but we've seen flashes from each guy. I have to think, you know, one of the the four uh, highly rated running backs that that they've got is going to be able to, to do some good things. Receiver, they've got the top-rated group in the conference, even though they lost Michael Pittman, who is one of the best receivers in the country. They're still absolutely loaded there. Offensive line, they lost their best guy, left tackle, left early to the NFL draft, but you know, still overall should be on paper a solid group. I know they've, they've struggled uh, up front in the past, but the move to the air raid has helped, has helped uh, the quarterbacks get rid of the ball, uh, more quickly, and, and that's helped with some of the uh, uh, statistics that, that get attributed to offensive lines that we take into account in our offensive uh, line strength ranks. But uh, defensively, I mean, they are just absolutely loaded at, at all three levels. If everybody can stay healthy, and if Todd Orlando can get more out of the unit uh, this year than Clancy Pendergrass was able to get in years past, USC has the roster to win, uh, really win the Pac-12. I mean, they, they, I think on paper should be the favorite in the division. And, and they were when I was just uh, sort of guessing as to what the numbers would be when I did a big write-up for fan-sided right around the national championship game. They were my highest rated team coming into the preseason. Now, Clay Helton's head coach rating is on the lower end. Uh, it's, it's one of the lowest in the Pac-12, very mediocre, just about average nationally. That's what's bringing 
their uh, their total down at this point. Uh, just like you know, maybe Whittingham is is inflating Utah a bit. Helton, I think, might be bringing down USC a little bit, and, and certainly they've. Uh, disappointed in past years under him. So uh, I, I don't know that we necessarily should give him the benefit of the doubt. But then I look at their roster and I think, man, this this is such a talented group. You know, hopefully maybe Helton just won't be able to mess it up. If if we could get to that point, then I think USC is going to be very, very dangerous. But not only have his head coaching sort of chops been questioned in years past, but it's just absolutely torpedoed their recruiting efforts. Last year, uh, you know, in the 2019 class, rated, I think, 20th overall, and people were talking about how it was the worst in program history. Well, this year, 55th, which is, you know, not the lowest in the Pac-12, ranked 10th, but 55th at USC is just absolutely unacceptable. So uh, as much as, you know, chatter has been around uh, Clay Helton's job has really just uh, endangered any any recruiting momentum whatsoever. Uh, hopefully, they'll be able to turn that around, win a lot of games. I would I would you know like for them to uh, uh, sort of maybe give <laughs> I don't know if a, a you know a vote of confidence or something isn't necessarily that's not always the best sign, but but USC needs to either get behind Clay Helton or, or get rid of him. And, and I mean, you sound uh, I like a, a you sound like a USC fan, by the way, you're like, well, I, I, I've been <laughs> listening to a lot of you. Well, well, I, 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 it, it was it not necessarily <laughs> the, uh, get behind him or fire him. It was the, uh, the, the comment that you said, this is, this should be good enough that not even Clay Helton can screw it up. That was yes. the one that made, that made me think you, you sound like, a USC fan. So didn't mean to cut you off. I just, it, no, no, it brought no, a, a grin to my face. I, I, so. I need to wrap it up, but uh, that's just what it looks like. I mean, I'm, I'm looking position group by position group. And it, even though the last two recruiting classes have been uh, very disappointing by USC standards, this most recent one just being God awful uh, from a number standpoint, I don't want to take anything away from the guys that they signed, but um, uh, just unacceptable from a, from a, a rating and ranking standpoint, but nevertheless, every position group is experienced, is talented. You think that this is the team on paper that should win the South and could win the Pac-12. We'll just see if it turns out that way or not. Xavier, what do you think of this uh, Pac-12 South without being disrespectful, of course? <laughs> of course not. Oh, I would never. Uh, <laughs> um, I think it's wide open. I think the Pac-12 South you really have to think about, yes, USC is the obvious favorite coming into it. They return eight starters on offense, 10 on defense. You know, although Nick alluded to a, a rather abysmal recruiting class, they still bring back, you know, so much talent on that team that really, you think about it, if they had kept JT Daniels to start the year off, who knows where they would have been, uh, you know, last year, especially with as much turnover as they had at the quarterback position. Um, Utah, I think, is going to take the biggest hit. Um out of all of these teams, simply because I think when you look at, you know, do you think Utah will win 11 games next year? No. Do you think Utah will win double-digit games next year? No, to be honest. Um, so I think they'll take the biggest hit. I don't see them following lower than anywhere of, like, third. I think they'll be around third next year. Uh, but, you know, they, they you got to think with all of that talent, that was, like, you know, the, 
a, a gener you know a generation if we're going to call that for four years a generation of, of talent that came through Utah over the last over the last four years when you think about that you know that's not easy to just you know snap your fingers and get back right back to where you used to be you know it took them that long just to get the opportunity to be you know a win away away from being in the college football playoff you know it might take another four years maybe not but we'll have to see um, Arizona State. I know, Nick, you said we might not want to drink the Kool-Aid, but I'm sipping it. I'm not drinking it. <laughs> I am sipping it. I really like this Arizona State team. And what I love more than anything about this Arizona State team is I love their coaching staff. It's NFL guys all over it. And when you have guys who are going to keep, you know, when I can look at their coaching staff and I think that guy's good. He's going to keep them in the right place. He's going to have them in the right area. And they pick up Marvin Lewis on top of that to help out the defense. This team is going to be, you know, at least well coached at the very least. And I think as long as they can stay in games, I think a lot of times last year, you know, they either got down really early. Uh, but when they, they were able to stay in games like we saw against Oregon, you know, and go pound for pound with one of the better teams in the country, they were able to walk away with a win. And I think that that's what they have to look forward to doing this year. And obviously, Jaden Daniels coming into his sophomore year, he's one of my favorite quarterbacks coming into next year um, with his ability to throw and run. And I think another year in that offense, you know, he already looked good this year, but he has another year in the offense. I think he'll be able to uh, excel a little bit more, um, although he doesn't bring back as much talent. I don't know about UCLA. I expect the worst, though. I'm going to be honest <laughs> with you. Um, you know, they just have not been able to get it right. Um, at, at any stretch, they bring in a, a, a top 50 kid from the ESPN 300, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, and he's benched by, you know, week eight. It just hasn't been able to work, you know, uh, at UCLA. Uh, for Arizona, I'm expecting them to ride the ship. I know you hate someone, uh, Scott, but I expect him to, to, to get right, to get it right. You know, What's and, and right for Sumlin? I mean, that's my seven question. and five. Seven and five might be right for <laughs> Sumlin. You know, and that's exactly where I have them sitting. I kind of have you know UCLA and Arizona flip flopped in my mind, um, as according to what we have them in our power rankings. We have UCLA going seven and six, Arizona five and seven. But I want to have that switched. Um, and for Colorado, they're so much up in the air now for me um, with losing Mel Tucker that I really don't know. Um, you know, you lose your your head coach a month out. And, and I'm serious. They're oh, they're about 19 days away from the beginning of spring practice. That's never a good recipe for a, a team to, you know, gel and, and get together, especially when you lose your starting quarterback, you lose your best receiver. Those two positions are going to have to be filled by somebody. And that was a lot of production that they had. So I would love to see them, you know, finish six and six. It would be a nice story, especially with Mel Tucker leaving as he did. But be honest with you be frank they could have four wins this year and that wouldn't surprise me all right i mean that is the uh early early season probably a, a <laughs> little bit too early look hey, at, wait. at the you want, you want something you want something too early i was just looking uh -huh. at the arizona state uh as xavier was talking about how he how i really liked it if they don't get just completely uh, run through on, on uh, NFL draft guys leaving early at linebacker and in the secondary next year. This might be your Pac-12 favorite in 2021. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. so. <laughs> talk about, of course, talk about too early. Yeah, of course Nick is talking about 2021 already. <laughs> yeah, hey, is it ever too early? I don't think it's ever too early to look down the road. I mean, we're not betting on stuff right now. We're just talking about it. That's all. But that is going to wrap it up for uh, today. Which conference are we doing next week, Nick? 
Next week, uh, we'll go to the Big 12. Oh! So, uh, Scott's neck of the woods. Yeah. Big 12. You better not Wood, have any smack to... You better not have any smack to talk this time, Xavier. So... <laughs> Uh, but that is going to wrap it up for us this week. Uh, remember, you can follow us all on Twitter at Bogman Sports at Xavier underscore Trish T R I C H E for him and at CFP Winning Edge for Nick. And we'll see. We will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody.